Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the final episode of the season of the Plus Dave podcast. We are, of course, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that is brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. The big question, of course, this week, as you've all been wondering, is do we have a Leeds fan called Dave on the show this week who would be well within his rights to take the week off? But I am delighted to announce that he is a true professional and a great friend, and he joins us for the last episode of the season. Hopefully not his last episode. I'm sure the summer will give him some time to reflect on things and come back and help us talk about how much of a disaster Spurs will be next season. But I'll come straight to you first, Dave. Welcome back. Commiserations. I know you saw it coming, but these things are never easy, even if you are 99% sure you know what's going to happen. Yes. Hi, Dags. Hi, everyone. Yeah, sad times, but I just really hope it doesn't take us another 16 years to get back and we don't go down into League One again like we did last time, because that was really tough. Hopefully we are in a bit of a better, well, I think we are in a bit of a better of a financial situation than we were. So I'm confident that we will not completely fall apart, but it looks like a pretty, pretty exciting league in the championship next season with Sheffield Wednesday just adding themselves (laughs) to it as well. So who knows what's going to happen? Well, we will see. We will see. But at least you get some mercy now of the summer off. You don't have to think about football for a little while. Apart from, of course, for the next hour where you will be hearing our thoughts on Spurs, who maybe didn't have quite as much of a disaster of a season as Leeds, it's fair to say. But we still aren't exactly the happiest football fans. Pleasure to also introduce the Piliotis cousins, Elio and Socrates. Elio, I'll come to you first because I know you watched the game with Dave, which must have been something of an experience. What was that like, sitting there watching (laughs) Spurs relegate leads seal their fate all the while wanting us to lose um i guess i felt less guilty and less sort of uncomfortable about it because of the fact that everton won their game anyway i yeah. think had that not been the case uh in fact leicester and everton won didn't yeah. they had that not been the case then i might have been asked to leave relatively promptly and uh, <laughs> i'm thankful that i wasn't because i more than uh, filled my gullet with my fair share of burgers sausages and grilled chicken yesterday but yeah I, I, my main feeling was probably just one of sorrow for my mates and then an odd moment of joy when lucas scored with his last ever kick in a spurs shirt which even dave actually got out of his chair and clapped a little bit as well so i think (laughs) it was a lovely day round at my mate's house and best not to ever think about the football side of things again beyond this recording I think we can all agree on that. I think it actually emphasised how indifferent and how frustrating it has been to be both a Leeds fan and a Spurs fan yesterday because I looked at my watch and went, oh, guys, the football started. (laughs) (laughs) We were outside in the garden having a few beers (laughs) on the barbecue and it was like, oh, yeah, we should probably watch that. Fine. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I was just going to say, it's classic Spurs, isn't it? The one time we don't want them to win, they go ahead and comfortably see the game through. Yeah, we can't even implode properly. (laughs) <laughs> no, we can't, we can't do anything right, can we? Uh, Sox, glad the season's over. Glad that we get <laughs> a few months off. Yeah, the sweet release of death is is pretty much how I'm feeling about the whole thing. <laughs> death of the season as opposed to, you know, my literal, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, six feet under. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, soon. Uh, yeah, glad it's over. Been saying it every yeah. week now. We've got, what, six to eight weeks where we don't have to concern ourselves with the football. Obviously, a bunch of off-the-pitch matters to sort out until then, so it's not going to be completely quiet. We won't have a full separation, but yeah, it's been a torrid season from start to finish, so glad to see the back of it. 
Yep, certainly a lot of stuff to address often on the pitch in the coming weeks for Spurs and whoever ends up at the helm to see through that process. And then we'll do our best to kind of preview what we might see in the next few weeks and maybe how the next season might start taking shape and, and what that needs to look like, as well as obviously looking back at the game that we've just seen, the 4-1 victory at Leeds, confirming that they were going down and obviously rounding off a pretty, I don't want to say uneventful season for us because it was certainly eventful, but an inspiring season. And we are going to look back on the season as a whole and just try and get a feel for how we view it what our thoughts are a few of our little end of season awards best players best goals and such stuff like that all the classic fun cliche stuff that we like to do uh, and a few of the lower bits and pieces to, to round up but um, but let's start with the game quickly shall we Dave I must admit I'm not going to go into the details on every single goal but when Kane slipped in in acres of space to tap in the opener I, I was watching that thinking yeah, that's that's probably why they're going down. It wasn't exactly a, a valiant effort to stay in the league, was it? No, and, and well, I think that's the problem we were just talking about just before we started recording, is the fact that too many teams haven't had to actually try that hard to beat Leeds. They've just had to turn up and take the opportunities mm. that will definitely come their way because we are not good enough defensively. And that's exactly what happened again yesterday. You know, if you give the second best striker in the world chances like that he's going to score them or he's going to assist others to score them and that is exactly what happened you know as a Leeds fan base a lot of people said yeah maybe we could do something incredible on the last day of the season and come off but ultimately we're giving chances away to every single team and they've got Harry Kane and and so it came to pass I didn't anticipate giving him such a great chance after what was it one minute 50 seconds but hey uh, yeah we dreamed the dream we lived the dream for 110 seconds yeah we always joke that leads are spurs light we yeah. always joke that yeah, you've been exactly. spurs light in a lot of the issues you've had but conceding it with the first few kicks of the game was taking it to a whole new level yeah yeah that standard of defending and at that time in the game we would not have been out of place from a spurs performance whatsoever would it you, you say the second best striker in the world dave I, I beg to differ i think we've seen further evidence of him being the best striker in the world 30 league goals in this spurs team is absolutely outrageous uh we've sung the praises of came plenty of times on this show most of which elio has been at the, the front and center of such praise but socks since you're relatively new to the show i feel like i'd give you the floor just to say a few words about Harry Kane's season. I know we talk about him every week, but given that it's our last one of the season, let's have a little quick Kane loving. Yeah, he's been really good. There you go. Very uh, good. Thanks. Make sure yeah. to tune in next week, everybody. <laughs> yeah, for more gems like that. You know what's happened? Elio's taken all of your insight and passed it off. So you've got nothing left original yeah. to say. No, I mean, all jokes aside, it, it's difficult because it's been this way for seven or eight years. And I think anybody, Spurs fan, neutral or otherwise, has pretty much waxed lyrical about Kane. I mean, what are we supposed to say other than the fact that he is a top two, top three striker in world football and has been since the 14-15 season. The conversation around him yeah. now is whether he's going to leave this summer or the next and that's kind of it. But I'm, I can't say anything that anyone listening to this doesn't already know about the guy. If anything, he's getting better with age. If you look at the 30 yeah. he scored this season, the last time he scored 30 in 17-18, which was our first season at Wembley, I think we finished third that year. I can't remember exactly mm. how many points we got. I think it may have been around 80 or in the high 70s. Obviously, now we're on 59-60, whatever we finished off at, eighth. So the guy has at least four or five years left in him, and it's just 
a question of what color shirt is he going to be wearing when he's banging in 25-30 next season and the season after that. <laughs> exactly. I think a lot of people thought that his days of scoring 30 in a league season were over and, you know, he was better in other ways and become an all-around player. But I think he's caught a few people off guard. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's almost boring. I, I was reluctant to even bring him up because it's in so many ways when you talk about Kane, it's like it's boring because he's so consistently great and just doesn't really blip. He's always just the same, the same player scoring all the goals. There's always the same conversations around him and somehow we we still have him in our team but I think it's the kind of boring that we will miss very sorely one day so we should appreciate it while we still can in, in that way I guess he almost scored 30 goals under the radar mm. Yeah, it's mad. It's uh-huh. mad. I mean, it's it's kind of. I think I feel like people are waking up to the fact that it's gone under the radar. It's that whole kind of paradox of a player being so underrated that they become overrated. I think people are now saying, "Wow, no one's talking about Harry Kane," and in the process, everyone's talking about Harry Kane. But but for most of the season, that has been the case, hasn't it? It's just the Harland story, and he's the warm-up act. I guess the question we need to ask when comparing the two is: Do we think Harland would have scored as many goals as Kane has? Harland scored six more in the end if Harland yeah. had been up front for us and do yeah. we think Kane would have outscored Haaland if he'd been in the Manchester City side and I mean yeah. listen Haaland's been absolutely incredible obviously and to make the impact he has has been well record breaking in absolutely every way however you have to look at the fact that he's playing in the best and most creative sides in world football by a country yeah. mile and a side that was outscoring every other side in the world and in the league without him. So it, you almost have to think, how bad would you have to be not to rack up that many goals as a specialist centre forward? The answer, yeah, you could be the guy that went to Arsenal and didn't win the league with a big bottle. <laughs> you could be that guy in fairness to Haaland if we're being completely fair on the stats he didn't play anywhere near as many minutes as Kane I don't think across the season but still everything you said is absolutely true Dave if you're let's say Real Madrid replacing Karim Benzema and you had a season of one or the other who are you picking? What do you mean if I had a season? As in ignoring their ages because obviously you'd go for Haaland because he's younger and all of that but if you just had them for one season or a couple of seasons right now um, that's quite tricky. I think I'd probably go for Hall. I'd, I'd still go for Haaland because I think he's more the out-and-out striker, which I think is probably easier to actually fashion a team around. Because I think, to, like similar to what I said on the last podcast, which I know probably didn't go down particularly well in the sense that I think it might be a good idea for you guys to get rid of Kane and start again. Part of the reason I say that is because he's, he's your number nine and your number 10, which makes it really quite difficult for other people um, potentially to, to play around him because, you know, they have to learn that he's not what they're used to. There isn't another striker who really plays the way that Kane does. And therefore, if you mm-hmm. dropped to parachute him into Real Madrid, I don't think he wouldn't be doing what Benzema's doing. I think Haaland would likely be doing that a bit more. That would be my reasoning. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that's the diplomatic answer, Dave. It would be one jigsaw piece out and the same jigsaw piece in, whereas you'd be talking about a completely different jigsaw. Yeah. You'd be moving yeah. all the pieces around. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, well done, Harry Kane. 30 league goals. Most headed goals in the season, overtaking Duncan Ferguson, which is uh, no small achievement. Most final day goals of the season, which, you know, talk about inevitable. Two goals in the final day. So yeah, the trophies keep on racking up for, for Harry as the comment section will be quick to remind you. So more on Twitter trolling later from Sox, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> moving on from Harry Kane, we've already touched on it. The final goal of the game, the 4-1. I think at that point, Dave, it was a done deal. You knew, obviously, the game was over and your fate was sealed but what a way to sign off for Lucas Sox. I mean, he will always be 
forever remember for one moment but uh, a player I think we all liked and wanted to see have a nice sign off doesn't get much better than that does it yeah I'm particularly happy for him just because obviously in time he will only ever really be remembered for the Ajax thing and that's not a yeah. criticism that's obviously there's nothing else he could have ever done that would ever overtake that but at the back end of his career so far the last few games you've had him coming on against Everton and immediately getting sent off and then him coming on against Liverpool yeah. about a week or two later and then giving a goal away so for this to be the actual final final memory okay it's never going to be anything like Ajax but it's about as close to a fairy tale ending might be overdoing it because this isn't a Harry Kane this is somebody that's more of a cult hero than a club legend but it's yeah. arguably the best goal I think he's probably ever scored for us in what was a meaningless game from our perspective, <laughs> but still a nice way to go out. I loved how everybody on the touchline pretty much ran to him. Even someone like Pedro Porro, who's only been there since the back end of January, yeah. who has barely really played with him and mustn't know him very well, was really, really kind of into <laughs> it. So that just kind of tells you the impact that Lucas has had just as a character and what people, not just us as fans, but people inside the club and inside the squad feel about him. So... Yeah, happy yeah. for him. Uh, obviously, he said some really nice words at the end about always supporting Spurs and having them in their heart. And I think sometimes we look at players and we'll always say, I want a player that cares as much as we do or whatever. But then when they're not very good, you know, we kind of criticize them. And this is almost that reminder. It's like, okay, Lucas was never a brilliant player for us, but this is the player that you want. This is the the guy gave everything. The guy will follow yeah. the club. I, I genuinely believe it. The guy in 10 years time will be back at White Hart Lane giving a halftime interview with Paul Coit talking about the hat trick he scored in Amsterdam. And that's the kind of player <laughs> Lucas is. So yeah, super happy for him. Obviously a great goal. Yeah, He'll be a pundit on BT Sport when we're playing Ajax again in the, in the Europa <laughs> yeah. League in a few years time or the Conference League. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, well done, Lucas. Wishing him all the best. Um, Elio, unless there's anything else in particular about the game itself that you wanted to go into, I did want to move on to just talk about the season as a whole and just look back mm. and try and summarise it. Because it's been a long old season. I was looking back try, when, we, when I was thinking about some of the end of season awards we were going to come to I, I didn't quite factor in how long ago the season started with the world cup and everything so it's really hard to summarize it and it's been good it's been bad it's overall not been great but how would you summarize the season and where does it leave us um how would i summarize the season i'd say the season was by and large a huge disappointment it was mm. one that didn't have uh, if we just say that harry Kane was doing what we kind of expect Harry Kane to do. It wasn't really a season punctuated by any sort of highlights, any kind of feel-good moments. There wasn't really... I mean, yeah, there were a couple of big wins early on. There were a lot of very good goals on show, but really, I can't think what I enjoyed about this season. And I don't think I've ever been able to say that about a football season at this club, not even in 97-98 in when we almost went down. Obviously, Wimbledon away, the Klinsman goals, many Ginola moments. When we, the Tim showed you, we had the breakthrough of Harry Kane towards the end. We had Adebayor's mini renaissance and his stupid salute to show it on the touchline, which was actually... <laughs> enjoyable just because of how much of a tip they both looked like this is the yeah. only season of football i have ever had as a spurs fan where i cannot really think of any moments that made up for the derision i think i've gone to the majority of home games and left them all thinking either for fuck's sake spurs or thank god we won because otherwise this would have been a huge waste of time and yeah yeah. yeah, so you asked for a summary, sorry, and I gave you an epitaph. No, no, that's fine. The summary of the season, the summary of the season in a nutshell, horrible, slow, <laughs> and I'm glad it's over. 
I thought you were going to stop after just horrible. I thought that was going to be your summary, but that would have been accurate <laughs> as well. For listeners, we just lost Dave for a second due to uh, what I'm assuming is a technical glitch, although part of me was thinking he couldn't bear listening to us call what we've just experienced a terrible season compared to what he says had to endure. But but Dave's <laughs> back anyway. He's used to this now. He's used to us entitled Spurs fans. Anyway, Sox, I was going to ask you, obviously Elio's just kind of summarized about how the season just feels like a bit of a disaster and it feels horrible, even though we all know we've seen worse. We've had worse seasons. Is it simply a case of just the standards being higher or is there more to it? Why do you think that we're in this horrible position as fans? And it's not just us. It's Twitter. You speak to a lot of people. Every Spurs fan I speak to seems to have the same kind of sense of, I've never felt so disconnected. I've never felt so let down by Spurs. Why is it that we've arrived at this point when an outsider looking in might think, it's not that bad, you know, come on. Get over it. I think it's because it's a lot wider than the context of this season. This isn't a bad season. This is arguably the fourth bad one in a row. Last season, I suppose, being the one exception. We've spoken about Mm. it a lot, and this is something that's mentioned kind of widely across our fan base. But since the Champions League final, it's been mostly kind of downhill. We've had a seventh place finish, which would have gotten us no Europe in any other season apart from that one because the Europa Conference League had only just started. We then had another sixth place finish and then now we are at our lowest finish without European football for the first time since 2009. As a club, it's like we peaked with that Champions League final and the opening of the stadium and everybody's kind of looking around and going okay, well, now what? Like, what's the purpose? What's the vision? How do we even get back to challenging for top four again? I think once you combine that with the fact that we have had sort of a defensive manager after defensive manager after defensive manager, we've had managerial appointments one after another that haven't really fit the club. We've had the actual travesty, which was the journey to appointing some of these guys, which looks like we're going through again at the moment. You then have the just ridiculous expense of going to the match. Even if you're not a season ticket holder, if you're somebody that's just going regularly enough, it's still incredibly expensive. It's a lot easier to just list out the good things about the club at the moment because there aren't just very Mm. many of them. I think ultimately, as a fan, you only really want to feel as if the club, A, have a vision and an actual target and, and B are giving everything they can to achieve that vision and achieve that target. I don't think we have one. I've got no idea what it is, even if it does exist, Mm. but I'm pretty sure it doesn't. And you don't get the sense that the club is doing everything in its power to succeed. I can accept failure. I can accept defeat. I don't go into every season going, well, if we don't win a trophy, we don't win the league or we don't do this. It's a massive failure. It's a massive disappointment. I don't think that paying the prices that we have to pay means that we should be guaranteed success. But it's the frustration is that I feel like the club isn't trying. I can tell you how many hotels we're going to build and the yeah. rough estimated completion time of those hotels, but I have no idea what the three-year plan on the pitch is. And I think the longer that goes mm. on, like I said at the top of this, this isn't a one-off. This has been happening for three or four years. And with each year, it's just going to continue to compound. So I don't think mm. our expectations are that much higher or that much better i don't think they're that different to what they were under harry redknapp because our aims under harry redknapp were to try and crack the top four and win a domestic cup that's probably the average spurs fans expectation almost every season for the past few years so i don't think it's changed that wildly in the past 10 or 15 years it's a lot more expensive but i think when you feel like the club has hit a bit of a brick wall that's when this kind of malaise is going to sink in and I, i don't see it changing anytime soon unfortunately 
Yeah, absolutely. It gets you thinking, doesn't it? It makes you think of the times where we did kind of flirt with success and start to look like a decent club and, and push for trophies. Was that just a fluke? And I think Elio touched on this in an earlier episode about maybe the Pochettino hire was just throwing enough at the wall and hoping some of it sticks. And we got it right that one time and it looked like a genius appointment when actually, you know, sometimes we just get lucky and we've just run out of luck. Uh, and it, it doesn't exactly fill you with confidence, does it? Um, I've got a great tweet here from one of my favorite YouTubers, Alfie from HITC7. If someone had told me in the summer that under a proven winner like Conte, having kept hold of Kane and having signed the likes of Perisic, Rosalison and Basuma, Tottenham would fail to even qualify for Europe, I absolutely would have believed them because it's Spurs. <laughs> which I think is uh, pretty spot on, isn't it? And on that note, I think it's important to kind of go back and look across the season and try and assess the season and pick out some key moments and try and learn some lessons from it. I do want to eventually get on to looking ahead to next season, seeing what the rebuild might look like, what has to happen in the summer, what next season's going to look like. But I think just touching on what you've just said, Sox, it is very difficult to do that in any great detail until we know what the vision is, until we know who the manager is. And as we've gone over a few times recently, who our next manager is going to be seems to change every week. So it's very difficult to, to know where that's going. But I do want to look back on the season and maybe run through a few. Should we just jump, should we jump straight into the end of season awards? Should we use yeah. that as a kind of basis to look back mm. upon the season and just see if it throws up a few things? Yeah, it seems like a bit more fun. Don't need too much structure for it. No prizes for guessing our player of the season. I think we've, we've just been over that in emphatic detail. But if I said who's your second best player of the season, who's the next best? It gets a little bit trickier, doesn't it? Elio, who would be your pick? Not tricky in the slightest for me. Benton Cole, 100%, because he's the player yeah. who, the moment we didn't have him, it all fell apart. Son scored 10 goals. Hoybier posted decent statistics across the season. Forster had sort of as good as you can expect from when he came in. Then everybody else, pretty shoddy in the most part. But Benton Core was excellent for the half season he did play, both in terms of protecting the back line and progressing play and getting in amongst the goals, quite importantly. The second he was gone, our season ended. I would almost go as far to say that he may even have been I guess if you're doing it on a player per season per game basis or something stupid like that, <laughs> At that point, you'd, yeah. you'd almost go as far as saying he had the biggest impact on anything good we did this season. And you could almost call him player of the season for that. Obviously, that's ridiculous. Harry Kane scored 30 goals as the centre forward for football's equivalent of Elmer Fudd. But um, Benton Paul would easily be the next one for me. <laughs> That was almost along the lines of the Samantha Mumba comparisons in, in how random that was, wasn't it? So, um, I had a feeling you were going to say Benson Coe. I know you're a huge fan. Uh, the only reason I doubted it was because he didn't play that much, you know, fault of his own, of course. But definitely one for next season that will feel like a new signing to use an old cliche. So that, that's a nice one. And I'm guessing he's one of the players that you would absolutely nail down for whoever the manager is to put in that core to build the team around going forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. Whatever our midfield looks like next season... Once he's fit, Benton is in, in it. it. Yeah, so were you going to say the same? It looked like you were nodding along when Elio mentioned his name. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's hard to give player of the season to somebody who's missed three months, but I think if he hadn't been injured, we would be saying, oh, it's a really tough toss-up between... I think he's... Yeah. I don't know if he's our best player, but I think he's our most important player because like Elio said, when he goes away through injury or is rested or rotated, the entire dynamic of how we play, it, it's like when we used to have Dembele the difference between him and not. We would actually yeah. survive periods back then without Kane 
when we'd lose Kane for two or three months, but we looked way worse when we had Kane but didn't have Dembele. Bentancor isn't quite mm. at that level because Dembele was just a complete freak of nature. But for us this season, and a, lo- a large part of it also has to do with the fact that Basuma, who we brought in to be that kind of alternative option to Bentancor, yeah. himself has been out for a lot of it. But yeah, Bentancor for me, I think we just have to keep everything crossed that when he does come back midway next season, he's still the same player because yeah. you never know with an ACL. We've mm. had it with someone like Van Dyke, and he came back and was still really good. But I think we have mm. also had it at Spurs with Wanyama and it basically completely finished that him. It, so it? it's completely yeah. on a knife edge. So. Yeah. The best thing I can say about Benton Core is that the final league games he played in were probably two of our best performances of the season. The battering of Leicester and the win of Manchester City yeah. at uh, our home grounds. I think he was gone by the time we played Chelsea and by the time we played West Ham, but we were on form when he was playing. And I suspect, I'm not saying it would have transpired to be the case because he seemed pretty checked out already. But there's a part of me that wonders if Benton Cole had stayed fit, if Conte would still be here, and if we might have even got top four. That, that's how integral <laughs> Sliding he doors. Was. Sliding well, doors. Well, at the point that Benton Cole was playing every game, we had yeah, our fate really. in our own hands, and it very quickly unraveled without him. Yeah, that's pretty high praise, isn't it? I'd love to see some kind of side-by-side comparison of points one per game where he's played versus where he hasn't played. And obviously, you know, a, a better podcast, a well-prepared host would have maybe come up with these stats ahead of time. But naturally, I've done no such thing. And and now it's too late because we're not even recording next week for me to throw that in for you. But I suspect it would be uh, day and night. Uh, Dave, you've obviously had the luxury of watching a whole load of Spurs this season because you are an honorary Spurs fan um they're my, they're my premier league now, team your premier yeah. league team of choice <laughs> yeah they are your premier league team sorry that, that felt <laughs> like a low blow but you it seems to have landed okay um i was gonna ask you because obviously we talked like kane and benton kerr seems to be unanimous for second place but is there anyone that you think is a kind of a hot take a kind of an unsung hero in the spurs team from what you've seen that doesn't quite get enough praise that you've been particularly impressed by or just somebody that you think well, needs i also a had benton kerr I had Benton Kerr as your player of the season because I assumed we weren't counting Kane and I was one of my only, yeah. I only have a few like you know, straight answers. The majority of my jerk answers for these awards, but yeah. um, uh, which is in keeping <laughs> with your season. Um, but from an unsung hero perspective, from an unsung hero perspective, I don't think you can look much further than Fraser Forster, to be honest, because I think, when it could have all started horrifically unraveling, he came into the team and, I mean, don't get me wrong, it unraveled, but it wasn't as horrific as it could have been, to be honest. And he did make some very fine saves. Obviously, he was horrifically unlucky with the AC Milan goal, which was the difference between you getting into the quarterfinals yeah. and not, which was, it was unlucky after pulling off arguably the best save of the season, which no one will remember um, because it immediately followed yeah. by a goal. Um, milliseconds before yeah, yeah. we've had our goalkeeping issues at Leeds and we probably a bit too late Allardyce decided to take Melia out of the spotlight and give the gloves to Robles and having a steady hand at the back actually yep. does it just makes you feel just a little, little less stressed and that little less yeah. stressed is you know quite useful sometimes 
yeah, I suspect goalkeeper is high on the agenda for next season, no matter who our manager is. And that almost goes without saying. Uh, it's been a funny one, isn't it? I, I'm not sure how I feel about the expression unsung hero. I feel like it's not the right use of the words, is it? I think hero implies that something has to be achieved. <laughs> I think, you know, it's like it's like some brave knight storming a castle to rescue a princess, but he actually <laughs> gets beaten by the dragon, but he tried really hard. So it's like, okay, yeah, he was kind of a hero, but I don't think you quite fall into that category. It's like just the, the ones that weren't that crap basically before we move on is there anyone else that you feel deserves to kind of come out of this season with their head held high from a Spurs perspective or do you think it is just those three and barely those three none of the playing stuff but I'd say Ryan Mason just because he took on something that was clearly not suitable for someone with at that point five or six games managerial experience he was fully dignified throughout he actually showed a little bit of tactical mouse and a little bit of ability to impact a match in his time in charge thinking of things like the Liverpool game for instance and I do think he's shown that there is a good coach in there in the future so as in a head coach not a assistant so I think he comes out with his head held high personally yeah. even if we did lose more than we won with him also obviously Brian Hill and Tongi and Dombele have had great seasons. Let's, let's give them credit as well, if we can count them, which just adds to the pain, doesn't it? Dave, I think you touched on it earlier, but your Spurs goal of the um, season? Have we just yes. seen it? I think goal of the season in terms of quality and also that sentimentality element has got to go yeah. to Mora. I did kind of have a different goal, though, for both moment and high point of the season, which was Hoybier's against Marseille which was the last goal before the World Cup break, which qualified you guys uh, into the knockout mm. stage of the Champions League. 95th minute winner from a cane through ball. I remember that one as being a particularly yes. high point. And, you know, the, the World Cup was starting. You guys had just qualified for the Champions League knockout phases. You were doing okay in the league. Everything seemed rosy. Uh, and then and then everything happened. Yeah. Yeah, that was the peak, wasn't it? Yeah, the World Cup didn't do us any favours. I have a favourite goal of the season that I'd almost forgot. It's so long ago that I forgot that it happened. And I'm curious whether Elio or Sox had highlighted this one. I had to go back and even double check that it was the same season it felt so long ago. But we watched it together at your place, Sox. The Chelsea oh, game. Kane and Chelsea. it wasn't even a winner. It sums up the season in many ways because it meant virtually nothing. But it was that last minute, 95th minute 96th minute headed equaliser against Chelsea in a game that was just fiery. We were absolutely outplayed, dominated. We were terrible. We deserved to lose, but it just felt so good. And that sums up the season. Just the only joy we've got has been seeing our rivals falter. And it was just like such a emphatic. I, I don't think I've celebrated another goal outside of Argentina at the World Cup, which was my other high point of the season. All season, as much as that one, because it just felt so good to stick it to Chelsea when they absolutely had every right to win that game. <laughs> Especially with the whole handshake thing that happened right afterwards as well, which just added to it. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Socks, Elio, have I stolen your one by any chance or did anyone have another goal they wanted to shout out? That's the one I was going to go for. I think yeah. against Chelsea, I, I know it sounds bizarre, but I'd rather we house the draw than one three nil comfortably <laughs> just because it's Chelsea. My only regret with that was that it didn't bounce off his hand and he wasn't four yards offside. That's the yeah. only negative to that goal that it wasn't even more jammy than it actually was. But because mm-hmm. it's them, yeah, that's the one I had. The only other two I can think of are the Kane quote unquote free kick from the game against Brentford only last week not just because it was the only free kick maybe he scored since that Villa one way back in 2014 Mm. but it was just probably the best goal he scored this season 
Another one I really liked, which was quite underrated, I think, was one against Palace where I think Brian Hill cuts in from the right and just lays it into him. And it's just the way he set himself up with the first touch. It it was almost like one quick Mm. movement with a touch and then arrowed the finish into the bottom corner. And that's just like a quintessential Kane goal that... (laughs) you almost take for granted until you see another player in that position hopelessly have his sort of first touch, take it out for a goal kick or something like that. Like that is, it's easy to marvel at the one that you've arrowed in from 30 yards, but it's those sorts of finishes for me that turn you from a 20 goal a season to a 30 goal a season striker. I like that we've gone from a four-man podcast to a five-man podcast now with the dog joining in the background there. Honestly, is it a man? Is it is it a girl dog or a boy dog? I can't remember. No, it's a boy dog. It is a boy dog. Yeah, that that dog absolutely loved that Chelsea game. Actually, incidentally, he definitely got very involved, um, celebrating along with all of us. Um, For for listeners, you might find it interesting to hear that Socrates' dog actually celebrates Spurs goals quite wildly, which is brilliant. (laughs) I I don't know if he knows quite what he's doing, but it's it's hilarious to see. He's just happy to be there. I really feel like we are veering wildly off considering most of us would rather not be talking about football for too long this evening. <laughs> We've been talking about chat earlier. Just deal with it. Yeah, dog of the season. There we go. We've done that one. Um, I've actually I've actually thrown myself off entirely now. Other goals are worth mentioning. I, I think what should have been in the contention for goal of the season would have been Richarlison's equaliser against Liverpool had it not been for Jota's goal immediately afterwards that just ruined it. Um, Elio, do you have any that you want to shout out? Any goals from the season? I guess just because of what it meant and obviously right in front of me as well would have been yeah. Harry Kane's goal to beat Manchester City because of course. it gave him our all-time top scorer record depending on whether or not you think he touched the Ericsson cross all those years ago. Um, But no, (laughs) it it gave him that record. It's led to him having a really sort of great moment in front of us and one that a couple of years ago seems may not happen as well when he was first sort of linked away big time. So yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that one, because that's the only goal I'll probably remember from this season in about 20 years time. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's more what I say. Oh, Skip scored a Thunder Bastard, I remember which was quite no, nice. Yeah, I can't remember Chelsea. who that was against, but technically was against that Chelsea. was one of the nicest. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was. And that was his first goal as well, wasn't it? For Spurs. Or a first senior goal, I think. Anyway, that was, yeah, that was his nice. His only goal for Spurs. I, I rather enjoyed that one. Is there a match of the season that stands out? I mean, there aren't that many. There, I think for the neutral, there were some. I think a lot of people very much enjoyed seeing us go 5-0 down against Newcastle. If there's a match of the season in terms of for a positive reason once again I'd just go with that Manchester City game just because of the noise we created the atmosphere we created and how it actually felt like there was something I guess to celebrate I know this is going back on what I said earlier about I can't really think of any highlights of the season okay if that was a highlight it felt good being in the stadium that day and it was great to see Harry Kane break the record so once again I'd probably go with that maybe the Chelsea game just because we've not beaten them in a few years until that one and we absolutely battered them yeah yeah that's fair dave the four three was an interesting one wasn't it that's got to be up there do you remember that one you yeah a bit more that, of a fight that, that, day. that was one one of those games where it looked like we were going to get points and then and then didn't we had a few of them yeah <laughs> one yeah. of those yeah <laughs> Dang, yeah. it's right now I'm you're not, just bullying him. I, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not meaning to. I'm trying to include him, but it's really difficult to talk about football right now without inadvertently. It's bullying all right. We can talk about low points next, and maybe the FA Cup. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't worry. There's plenty of room for you to bully us back. Uh, from your perspective, Dave, and I feel like the Newcastle 5-0 opener or whatever ended up as 6-1, I, I think that's too easy an answer, just like saying Kane for player of the season. Is there a point where you were most most appalled at Spurs throughout this year? It's really difficult <sighs> yeah, to narrow it down. Yeah, that is difficult. To be honest, I just mentioned it. The FA Cup <laughs> loss to Sheffield United was 
inevitable. It, it just felt like it was going to yeah. happen. It just felt like you were going to lose. I just, I just had absolutely zero faith that you were going to get through that game. And then, well, I mean, it just became inevitable in the league as well. And I just started betting on the teams that I desperately needed you to win over to beat you. And I kept making loads of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just ridiculous. Which reminds me, congratulations on uh, taking a leaf out of Ivan Tony's book and betting against yeah, I was your talking, own I was team. To, I was talking to the guy yesterday. I was seriously considering putting all of it to like 300 quid that I would win if Leeds got relegated, all of it on us to stay up, um, which would have been 12 to 1. So <laughs> emotional hedge hedge. Three and a half grand back. And it's because it's such dirty money. But instead, I'm probably going to wait and, and reinvest it in Leeds to not get promoted next season, which I'll probably get pretty decent odds for. Very good. Yeah, that sounds sensible. You're a sick man, Dave, but I can't help but respect it on some level. Yeah, I think, to be honest, the exits of both the Champions League and the FA Cup were the ones that hurt because they're the ones where you're just thinking, we're rubbish, but we can still go on a run. And ever since that 2019, you just think, ah, we could, we could maybe just get a bit lucky. And it was more the fact that it just seemed like we did didn't care enough and didn't really go into it. So for me, I think no match disappointed me more in the league than either of those two, um, the Milan mm. and the Sheffield um, United. So, yeah. I think that was another, fair. It's very difficult to narrow down, as I say. Let's, let's run for a few more and we'll, we'll go on to talk about next season. But let's have a look. What have I written down here? What have I got here? Biggest letdown, biggest flop slash letdown at Tottenham this year. Antonio Conte. Antonio yeah. Conte, hands down. <laughs> yeah, the guy last season has to be. was getting praised to plenty for getting us up into fourth. He was praised for sort of getting us excited and looking forward to watching Spurs again. And this yeah. season, he didn't get a couple of the shiny new toys he wanted. He mentally checked out pretty much as soon as the season began and also started sort of, well, some of the decisions as well. I mean, mm. forget the tactical stubbornness and the lack of flexibility. Pep is also very stubborn tactically. It's just that he has two fifty million pound plus players for every position and plays a better brand of football. But the way he was cutting his nose off to spy his face, persisting with certain players who are out of form while leaving expensively acquired players nowhere near the first team game after game, like Richarlison, Basuma, obviously being the main ones. The way he treated yeah. Jed Spence and persisted with sort of playing substandard players like he killed so many players confidence with his management of the squad so yeah absolutely he was the flop of the season you will get no arguments from me on that one Elio and I actually think there's an honourable mention for Conte's mental breakdown in that press conference for moment of the season in a, in a sick way because that was entertaining albeit made us all very very angry but yeah looking back on it that was one of those moments that we won't forget in a hurry um, Socks I think my favourite plus Dave podcast moment of the season was probably when you became possessed by Elio and <laughs> went on a foul-mouthed rant against Arsenal for, for seemingly no reason other than that they are Arsenal, but it seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, I loved your description of it sounded like Elio was standing over you like Palpatine going, good, good, yes, I reached the anger. I loved that. That, was, that made me laugh so much because I was one of the few things I got to listen to having not heard it live when actually as a listener because I wasn't on that episode. I love that. Do you have a favourite moment from the season? Because obviously you've listened to a lot of this, not as a guest. You've listened to some episodes in the past. But from your time on the show or listening, is there a standout Plus Dave podcast moment? Every time I think of this podcast, the first few things that jump off the top of my head are normally various players, current or former, that Elio is wishing death or destruction upon, <laughs> whether it's Sean Longstaff or Jerry Barton. And it's been happening so often, it's kind of merged into one. I can't even tell you if they were last season, this season or both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. the... 
I think Elio comparing the value of his less testicle to <laughs> that of uh, Jack Grealish stands out. Yeah. I think that's a great. To answer. be honest, my overriding sensation, I think, is that I since I've sort of started being on this podcast only the past five or six weeks now, I've had more fun doing this than I have had watching Spurs, watching even though Spurs. the results have been not nice to talk about, which I suppose is a pretty damning indictment. I'm, I'm a football fan, mm. not a podcast fan. I'm a Spurs fan, but I look forward to this, even if we have to talk about despair way more than I do the football mm. itself. So hopefully that balances itself out next season a bit more. Hopefully yeah. it does. Um, Dave had his hand up for a while while I was uh, yapping away there. I'm intrigued yeah. to see what challenges well, I was, come I was, my It way. wasn't a challenge. It was a, a letdown of the season also ran, which I think also bodes well potentially for you against your competitors next season because I was going to go for Basuma mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a second place yeah. to Conte. Mm-hmm. And by extension, I'm assuming we can all look forward to Caicedo being terrible for Arsenal and McAllister being terrible for Liverpool next season. So, you know, that's that's one <laughs> bad midfielder each for them. Uh, so hopefully that means that yeah. you guys might have a chance against them. And Bryson being very, very rich. Yeah, I don't think you can blame Basuma so much for that one. He's had injuries and stuff. So hopefully that is a case of, yeah, it's going to click next season. And then him and Bentico will be a brand new midfield out of nowhere that we had all along. But, but let's see. Uh, Dave, have you just hated every single moment of this this season's podcast or are there any moments that stand out that I you haven't liked? enjoyed you it. Enjoyed? But I have enjoyed it. You see what I mean? <laughs> It's, 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 I'm not sure it, I do, is, though. This is, this is, this is essentially my escapism where I can go, <laughs> see, it sucks to be other clubs' football fans as well, not just late. So I just enjoy it for that reason. I don't think there's any particular moment that stands out as being particularly fantastic or hilarious. It's just all been great. Fair mate. enough. I'm just, I just can't wait for next season. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, but none of us can. We're all just counting down the days until August now, aren't we? Elio, I feel like I'm inadvertently coming to you last on all of these and I'm making your job really difficult. What is your favourite moment of the season in terms of the podcast? Is there anything, have I already taken it with, with Sox's outrage last week um, or is there anything that, prob- that you particularly got a kick out of? Probably getting to host the episode <laughs> that I hosted because well, well, it there, led yeah. to us having a nice, polished, well, uh, well, um, well run products by the end of it unlike the sentence i just spewed yeah, out um, i was about to say you didn't really carry that off very well did you <laughs> i can't argue though you're absolutely right no if there's a, a moment episode. of the season if there's a moment of the season for me it's probably just because i remember it being quite an energetic and quite a fun episode to record the post conte rant slash sacking episodes oh god well, yeah. actually no in the build-up there was one episode where what, what was that i compared him to whatever it was i think there was some energy and some high levels of passion and tension yeah. with regard to our crumbling managers imminent exit so i think <laughs> that period of episodes probably stand out for me as enjoyable yeah not to toot my own horn too much but there was the intro that I overlaid with O'Fortuna to you very angrily going off on a rant at Conte that I think fit quite well. The, the captured the tone of that podcast quite nicely. Um, it, Elio, I thought it was to Carmina Barana. I think they are one and the same, or one okay. is a piece from the other opera or something. I'm, I'm not okay. going to pretend to be any more cultured than that, but I think uh, we are talking about the same piece of music. Okay. Um, but anyway, anyway, um, Elio, I'm going to stick with you now because I think that, that's enough about the season gone by. I saw a tweet that you made recently that I really enjoyed. Some of our listeners might have already seen it, but you basically gave a bit of a breakdown of the status quo of the squad and you kind of did a bit of an autopsy of what's left over and, and went through position by position and sort of said who you'd like to keep around, where we're well stocked, where we need work. And obviously these are things that will depend on what manager comes into a degree, but I think largely mm. they're quite universal. 
if you wouldn't mind, can you go through and give us some your overview again? And obviously, Sox and Dave can jump in and make any comments. But I really enjoyed that. So it'd be good if you can give me a bit of a summary of how your assessment of the squad is. Okay, so I'll try and keep it moderately high level because otherwise we'll be here all night. This was based on a chat I had with Sox where we kind of thought... We are talking about the exact same thing every single week when we talk about Spurs. So let's try and talk about something a bit more fun, like keep and sell, essentially. Who do you keep? Who do you sell? Who do you reintegrate, et cetera, et cetera. And we're trying to do it from the guise of we're realistic, we're Spurs fans, we won't do an overhaul. And even if we did do an overhaul, we probably wouldn't trust them to get the overhaul right. So let's just go for things that could happen as opposed to what we do on Football Manager, basically. And yeah, and I guess sort of part of the pitch by part of the pitch, we looked at the goalkeeping situation, Forster, fine to stick with him as a number two. He's shown that he's still able, at the very least, he's sort of experienced in commanding in the dressing room. Luris, we, I think every Spurs fan would agree, it's time to cut the strings, let him go. Um, I'd personally cancel the remaining year of his contract, do a mutual agreement thing and let him either retire or go back to France for sort of his hometown, maybe go back to Nice or something like that and sign a top quality goalkeeper. It all starts from the back and that's where we need to start this summer. Sort of going through the gears and moving up, we kind of agreed we don't really want to buy any new fullbacks. We're looking at the Mm. right-hand side and we're looking at Porro, we're looking at the promising potential of Spence and we're looking at Emerson for what he offers as a solid option, but also his versatility. He can play left, right or centre in defence. He's he's, uh, somehow Mr. Dependable. Who would have thought that? Um, (laughs) Thought, keep those and leave it as mm. is and then on the left hand side we've probably another unsung hero by the way in Emerson just to quickly throw that in there yeah I think that's fair actually he probably comes as a net positive this season yeah, but yeah. similar story on the left hand side if we were signing Udogi after the season he's just had as our new first choice left back left wing back whatever as opposed to him coming back on loan we'd be really really happy he's had a great yeah. season in Italy so have him and then one of the many other left wing-back fullback options we have. So there's Davies, there's Reguilon, there's Perisic, there's Sessegnon. I don't consider Sessegnon as likely to ever be good enough. So, And I think Perisic just isn't for this league. So we came down to Davies or Reguilon, depending on, I guess, what you want out of it. Either or is absolutely fine. But once again, we don't feel we need to buy there. Where we do need to buy is at centre-back. We've got... Romero, yeah. who we trust, ish, barely once every five games when he's fit. Yeah. Um, but what I mean is, we've got Romero, who we at least can see reason to persist with. We don't see that at least not as a starter with Dyer. We don't see that at least not as a starter with Longley, and we definitely don't see that with the likes of Rodon, Sanchez, and Tanganga or Davies, for that matter. If you don't mm. keep him as left back problem is you can't replace every center back at the club that's absolutely mad you need to sort of pick your battles when you're tweaking and changing the squad around so sign someone who can play as an lcb next to romero long late bring in as a sort of solid hasn't really done anything wrong option cheap to bring in but obviously very experienced one league titles and then you're kind of picking between the other four, Dyer, Tanganga, Rodon, and Sanchez as to who's sort of your step in when you're sort of down to bare bones player. And I think Sox and I both agree Dyer would be the best bet. Is this all right so far, Sox? Yes. 
Thank you. <laughs> Seeing as I'm <laughs> monologuing at this point, do you want to talk about the midfield for a bit just so I can not bore our listeners to death? Go on, give Elio a break. Yeah, sure. To be honest, I think at midfield, we're in a position where we have three senior players in Hoiberg, Bentacourt, and Basuma. I don't think you move any of those on. Basuma, obviously not. Bentacourt, we've discussed, is one of our best players. And even if somebody wanted him, he's out until November, December with an injury anyway. Hoiberg, I think you just keep. I know people have some mixed opinions on him, but as Elio has already said, I don't think you can sell everybody in one summer and we have way more mediocre players that I would sell first ahead of Hoiberg. You then got Skip and Saar that round off the other two positions. I think the interesting thing with both of those is that I think a large part of that will depend on the next manager and what they want to play. Mm. If we play a 4-3-3 and we need somebody more creative in there we don't really have anybody that can do that role if we're playing only two in midfield then we've got five that go into two as opposed to five that are going into three but I think what we agreed on is that we lack any kind of creativity either in the center of the park or as a number 10 again we don't know if mm-hmm. we're going to be playing 4-3-3 4-2-3-1 but we have been linked with fairly consistently somebody like a James Madison that could play that number 10 position so I think what will end up most likely happening is we probably keep all of the central resources that we've got. Maybe somebody like Pape Sar potentially has a loan deal out unless this hypothetical new coach is willing to give the 20-year-old a bit of a run in the team. And then you bring mm-hmm. in someone like a tennis Madison to fill in that gap. The other problem you've got there is that of Kulisevsky. And I know there's been some word about potentially us maybe signing him, maybe not signing him. He came out with some quotes just today, actually, that he said, I'm not too sure, which worried me slightly because a few months ago he was saying 100% I'll be here next season. Mm. I love it here. I love London. I love the fans. And now it's like, hey, I'm not sure if I'll be here next year. So he's the other one that would potentially play either as a right winger on the right, which he has been this season, or as a number 10, which is his kind of default position before he Mm. joined us. But I think in all likelihood, we'll probably end up buying someone like a James Madison and whoever the new guy is just has to work with what's left. So I guess what, so I picked up on essentially where you left off there in my tweets and what I said is, Basuma, Bentenka, Hoibier, Skip, Otsar, all these midfielders this season have been exposed by having to play in an overrun way against midfield, midfield threes on the whole, whether it was a traditional three or a two with a attacking midfielder in front of them, they've been overrunning midfield all season long. So in my mind, sort of, I think Skip, after giving him a season of relatively regular football, especially second half of the season, you've got to persist with him being in and around the squad. You've got to keep developing him. So in my mind, you'd add him to the other three we've mentioned, the, the three experienced ones, let's say, because now he's beginning to verge on experience, learn out some like Saar to get regular football, And then you've got four midfielders, whether you're playing two or a three, let's say four, three, three, one or four, three, three, add two players. Ideally, go and get your Ward Prowse, go and get your Madison. One, a creative central midfielder, one, a creative number 10 attacking midfielder, whatever. And you have options. You have the option of what you can do, essentially, rather than just be stifled into one formation and either way you've got six into three positions because you've either got six for two central midfielders and attacking midfielder or you've got six for three central midfielders and you adapt accordingly and that's what sort of the best managers and the best teams are able to do on the whole but I think sort of going forward from that the next thing you look at is our forward line and all right Danjuma's going to go back Lucas Moore is obviously off now after his nice into his Spurs career You've got Richarlison, you've got Son, you've got Kulisevsky. 
let's say they're vying for now that we've got either attacking midfielders or three central midfielders, let's say you've got those three vying for two positions out wide, essentially, or up front, you have to sign one more. You've got the returning Brian Hill, who I would personally keep as well. So you've got Richarlison, you've got Son, you've got Hill, and you've got Kulisevsky. I would keep all of those four. Richarlison, I think, is going to end up more of a out-and-out forwards anyway, come what may, whether it's someone who comes off the bench for any of the front line or whether it's someone who gives Harry Kane a rest from time to time, who knows. But if we've got three forward positions, you need six players. So whoever that may be, I don't know who the next big young winger is, but you need to bring in someone to succession plan for Son Kung min because Kulisevsky's on the other side. Kill, if he's going to make it with us, is on the other side as well because what coach in this country is going to play with a left footer on the left and a right footer on the right anymore. Son, I think, has shown towards the end of the season that he's still worth having at the club rather than removing from the club because he's still shown that he can score goals in a system that plays to his strengths, which he has done lately, So, and he has been getting chances. And he's actually ended up the season with not too shoddy stats. But you can't do what we've done with the defenders, what what we've done with Alderweireld and Vertonghen. I, you don't want to end up with someone substandard who's currently his backup replacing him. We have to go and sign and someone, and I would put serious money behind this, sign someone who can realistically push Son out of the first team by the end of the season. I would say that is one of the most important signings we could make. Um, I know that's a very expensive thing to do, but I don't see that we have an option because he's 31 now. He's already started that decline. If we don't do it now, we're going to regret it. Don't do it and sell him. Don't replace him. He still has value. Do it and buy that player time to bed in across the season until hopefully by the end of the season that guy has dispersed with Son. And sometimes they'll play together because you expect your attackers to be able to swap sides, play different roles anyway. Then if you've got those five out of the six sorted, person number six, Harry Kane. What do you do with Harry Kane? Do you sell or do you keep? And I guess the way I rounded off my post earlier was... I keep because I don't see an amount of money that we can get now for Harry Kane that will be worth more than one year of Harry Kane to us. I just don't. One year of Harry Kane to us is worth a lot more than one year of Harry Kane to someone else. And anyone buying Harry Kane with actual money (laughs) as opposed to on a free next year is only buying one year of Harry Kane. So who's going to pay 70, 80, 90 million for Harry Kane? Whereas if you keep Harry Kane, even if you lose him for free at the end of the season... It's better for the new manager because he actually has our leader, the person that's the connection with the fans. I know this goes against a lot of what Dave said last time, but the person who's our connection with the fans, someone who can help other new players integrate by taking a bit of the pressure off with his essentially Roy of the Rovers playing style, someone who can help take Spurs into the next era and then leave and win all his trophies in a year's time with his pick of any club on the planet he wants. And it will be any club on the planets because there's no top club that will not try to get Harry Kane on a free transfer. So that's my opinion. It, it would have to be something supremely ridiculous, an amount of money that would allow you to essentially buy a top class number 10 and a top class number nine. That's all that would make selling him this summer worth it. So yeah, I'd keep him and I'd keep, well, all the forwards that we know are still at the club to tell you the truth. The only other thing to top off everything there is it goes without saying the Celso Harry Winks and Undumbele can f- 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's probably the easiest part of all of that to agree with. Um, this isn't by no means a complaint, Elio, but I love how you started that off with, I'll keep it high level and brief, <laughs> and then went on for like 10 minutes. That is so you, but I love it. And that was all great stuff. I know you tagged socks in for a minute. I was going to say, you did the defense. You passed over to socks for the midfield. I thought you were about to say, all right, Dave, now tell us about our striking option. <laughs> the idea of me being in the middle of a sandwich, of which Elio is the, both the top and the bottom, is incredibly disconcerting. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Think of it more like a hug, you know, just putting his arms all around you. It's probably just as disturbing. Um, so the Sox, though, would you agree in terms of the problem areas that he highlighted? And I know you you were very much involved in this initial discussion, so I'm guessing you do agree. But to summarize, decent centre-back or two, creative centre midfielder and a Son replacement slash rival in that position and goalkeeper as the four main areas to improve. Yeah, I'm loath to say this, but I think we should look at what Arsenal have done since they brought Arteta in, which is every single summer they have signed anywhere from two to four good players for good money. Uh, one summer it was Ben White plus one other. This summer it was yeah. Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus. You just target two to three really good players every single year. You pay 30 or 40 million from whatever they cost and you start improving it piece by piece. This is very much, and we've said this before, from next season, it will be year one of a new project. There is only so much we can realistically do. And I actually yeah. think the bigger task we have, I think we have something like 34 players on the books and that's before mm. you start including youth players that you might want to start looking to promote next season. Maybe you want to give Alfie Devine a go. Maybe you want to give Jamie Donnelly a go. We have so many players and we know some are going to go like Lloris and Perisic and, and more is obviously off. Even when you take those into account, there's going to be a hell of a lot of ripping up of contracts or having to take huge losses. So I think before we can even think about who's going to come in, I suspect we're not going to make too many moves until we can be fairly confident that we have got at least five or six out the door. Otherwise, we're going to blow what is an already, not just an incredibly bloated squad, but a bloated squad for what will be three competitions next season. There will be yeah. no Thursday nights away in Cyprus or whatever it will be. So more so than any other season in the past 15 years, we are really going to have to trim the squad size down. So I completely mm. agree with Elio's assessment. I'm just concerned as to how much we might be knowing how we have done our business traditionally and how slow we often move. I'm concerned as to how long it might actually take for us to get those ins in because of all the the muck that we're going to have to get rid of. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, it's easy to think of it in terms of football manager and just think, oh yeah, let's just bring in replacements for these players and then let the players that we currently have sit on the bench and just play second fiddle once we've improved them. But these players that might want to play football and they might leave, might want to go somewhere else. So you might end up actually needing to sign a couple of players in one position because Hoiberg doesn't want to be a backup. He's still young enough and wants to go somewhere and be the first name somewhere, things like that. So that's the other complicating factor that we've got to, got to weigh in as well. So it could be a lot of activity, hopefully not like a Chelsea slash Nottingham Forest window, but I think it would at least be interesting, wouldn't it? Dave, if you're still there, if you're yeah. still listening, any bargains we should be shopping around in the championship? <laughs> any of the? I know you mentioned one of yours last week in Sinistera, but who, anyone that stands out besides obviously James Madison, I think being the obvious one that's gone down. That yeah, I think Harvey Barnes right. as well is potentially uh, that that son uh, uh, mm, alternate is, is worth a shot as well. Yeah. I think there's been a couple of rumours going around today that you're interested in, in signing Robin Cock offers, which would be a good centre-back option for you guys, I think. I don't think he's the starter, but I think he'd certainly be a great option for you in, in the defence. Other than that, there's so many good players in the Championship, so many good teams in the Championship this season. I feel, I feel like there's probably at least yeah. 10 teams where there's at least one or two players who would 
absolutely be at home at the very least as a substitute who can come on and make a difference in the Premier League. Obviously, Southampton have got a few as well. James Ward-Prowse, the obvious one, but but also a couple of their defenders. Mm. Yes, Salise but yeah, there's, there's tons of, of options in the Championship, yeah. but ultimately it all, it's, it's all irrelevant, isn't it? It really does depend on who your director of football and who your manager is, because if it's Posta Coglu, you'll probably not have heard of half the people that you sign. Yeah. And if it's Rodgers, it will be all. And if it's Amarin exactly. or Enrique, then we'll all be guessing. Exactly. And on that point, I think it's worth mentioning, we, we kind of collectively agreed before recording that there's no point going into too much detail about Postacoglu or any other manager, because as is the case every week, we just don't know who our next front runner is going to be. The bookies seem to be going in merry-go-round and everybody seems to be coming out to turn down the Spurs job before it's even on the table. So it's a silly game trying to predict who our manager is going to be. But obviously, you know, if, if that happens and we, we do announce a manager at some point, then maybe we'll come back for a special episode and uh, do a bit of research on them and think how that might affect us. But I think for now, we can, we can probably leave it. And on that point, we are getting on a little bit in this episode. It's hard to know exactly how long we've been recording for because we've had every technical glitch under the sun since we started. But I think we're at least pushing the hour mark. So I'm keen to move things on a little bit. But just in general terms, uh, Socks, I'll come to you. I just want to know your your thoughts on next season in terms of where is the bar now? Like, What would you constitute either in sort of tangible measures in terms of a league position or, or where you go in, in various competitions, but where is the bar? What would constitute a good season or successful season for you? I think we're going to get relegated. <laughs> oh, so the bar is the relegation line, is it? Just, just I'm not, avoiding I'm the not, drop. I'm not even being hyperbolic. I've been stewing on it over the past <laughs> few days. And I think at some point over the next three years, we will find ourselves in a Leicester, Everton, historically Newcastle, <laughs> 10 years ago, Villa position. I know that sounds melodramatic, but sometimes you get the whiff of something before it starts to really kind of stew. And you need to look at it from the perspective of Kane won't be here forever. We have a board that has proven themselves to be completely incompetent and clueless I've seen enough to know that that isn't changing if a leopard were to change its spots it would have happened not 22 23 years in I know people will say ah but you've got so much money you've got so much this we've spent more Mm. in the last four years like exactly well exactly I mean I look at that Leicester squad and I take Kane out of ours and I'm looking some of those and it's like a lot of you would walk onto our bench and a lot of you would actually walk into our first team I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous and hyperbolic but and I don't actually think we're going to go down next year but I also don't think we are a million miles away from being that sort of team again when you look at it and you're going do you know what an injury to Kane or a couple of wobbles here and there like we are very much kind of teetering on not the mm. brink, but it, it, I think it sums up for me the lack of faith I have in the board to arrest the decline. I don't think they have it in them to fix this mess because I don't think they know what they're doing. I think it's incredibly different when you are the CEO effectively of a company that is worth 20 or 30 million pounds that has ambitions to break into the top 10, 8 or 6 in a completely different era of the Premier League and being the CEO of a business that is now to be fair, thanks to your work, worth two, three, four billion that has ambitions that are grander than that. We've spoken about it every week, including on this very episode. The decline over the past four years has been substantial. They haven't shown again, bar one season last year with Conte, which is proving itself to be a blip now. I don't think our owners have shown a level of competence to suggest that they are able to arrest it. And I have some kind of concerns and if uh, in terms of next season i have zero expectation i don't think it's going to be good i don't th- i'm sat here saying i'm glad this season's o- over 
I do not think the next one will be that much different. Hopefully we get a manager in who can at least play decent football. But if, if you want my prediction now, and I hope to God I'm wrong, I think we will lead every other manager we speak to on a merry chase for the next two or three weeks. I think we'll piss off every other half-decent manager left that's in this search, having you know gallivanted around Europe trying to find somebody. And I think we'll probably end up with Mason by default. And I think we're going to have a terrible season next year. And that's you my know prediction. what? First of all, when I say we need to start wrapping up this episode soon, that is not the kind of comment I was hoping <laughs> for because that 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 opens up a whole new door. Like that that could be half an hour more of discussion. And but but in fairness to you, that's all very believable. It's horrible to say it, and look, maybe maybe you are totally wrong. We all hope you are, but it, it is easier to look at. Even Chelsea this season, I know it's a very different situation, but they've had a disaster exactly. season. Liverpool, every time they lose a big player, they seem to look like they're in a crisis. When Van Dijk was injured, when they saw Mane, okay, they've bounced back this season very, very well. But it just shows how fragile this kind of brief success is for even the biggest, richest clubs. And it is quite scary. And I think one thing's for sure, and I'm sure Elliot will weigh on, in on this, if we don't do a good job replacing Harry Kane, if and when he goes, we could be down there fighting. Like, even if, if we I'm, don't really fill the gaps. Even if I'm half wrong and I'm exacerbating it to the tune of about yeah. 50%, the outcome still, <laughs> still isn't good, good because the, yeah. the outcome is still somewhere similar to what we've been doing yeah. this season. It is a side that is maybe going to be competing with for Conference League positions that is going to kind of descend into yeah. mid-table mediocrity. I mean, for me, the further we kind of stray away from Pochettino, the more he goes up in my estimations because you kind of realised how much that he was the glue that was piecing mm. this entire entire club together and again you have to give some other people some credit because he inherited a lot of that squad so it wasn't all his doing but the more we stray away from that like i said there's only so many poor decisions i can see in quick succession before my my faith in the entire project completely wanes and we spoke about it before and a few weeks ago the burden of proof lives with them now to prove me wrong so let's see how we go Elio, please tell me you have some good news. Please, can you drag us up out of this hole of despair and tell us that we're wrong tell us that we won't be the next leicester if Everton, if this Everton side with Frank Lampard's management for the majority of the season, on top of the years of awful running and awful management they've had, have still not been relegated, <laughs> then we're not going to be relegated either. So that's the good news. The bad news is that I do agree with Sox that the board doesn't know what it's doing. Mm. But then the flip to that is that there's every chance we fluke another Pochettino and if we do one thing I will say about the boards at the moment in the last few years is that they have shown a willingness to maybe not back the manager but to spend money and as I said the right manager is the manager who understands the situation he's getting into and works within those parameters because that's what Pochettino did Pochettino embraced being the builder to work on someone else's blueprint. He did. And that's what we need again. Now, that will only get you so far as we've already found out. But I do think there is promise that things pick up. And the other thing I'd say is, this is by far the worst Spurs have been perceived in the Enoch era. And everybody, fans, press, absolutely everyone is pinning that at Enix doorstep. I think when you get that much bad press, pure ego, and nothing more but pure ego, will drive you to try and throw the kitchen sink at turning it around. Daniel Levy, Mm. I think I said this last week, he's 
dedicated his entire professional life pretty much to try to make a success of us. And even if he is a success on the spreadsheet and in the eyes of investors, he is also in the stadium every week hearing his name dragged through the mud by 62,000 people. I genuinely think pure ego means that he will throw enough mud at the wall for some of it to stick and for us to have a good period again. A limited, yeah. There'll be a limit to that good period, but a good period again. And when that's your ambitions as a football fan, you really should just give up. <laughs> Wait, hey, we'll, we'll take it, right? We'll take it. You reminded me of a brilliant tweet from uh, Das Micho on Twitter uh, that Dave, I'm sure, will appreciate. Feel for Lampard. Absolutely monumental challenge trying to get two clubs relegated in one season, but arrive too late at Chelsea. Um, on that point, Dave, I suppose we're going to get relegated next season. Are we being melodramatic? Are, are we in trouble over the next couple of years or do you think we'll be all right? We're gonna I think you'll be back. fine. But if, if, if what Sox has said comes to pass, you, you're doing what we did, which is relying on worse teams and bigger shows than you and that's always a dangerous game so yeah i hope that doesn't come to pass i do think this is a pivotal summer for a lot of teams really but none more so than spurs and 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 us as well because we need a director of football and we need a new manager we need a new a new dna almost um so Mm. it's uh at least we're not swimming in the same waters now so it's not as if we're going to be in competition for anyone uh which i think is probably a good thing for our friendships but uh but yeah it's all on it's all (laughs) on this summer and uh and i'm sure we'll get together when we find out who the man is Exactly. And um, look, we're, we're going to do a, a pre-season episode, I'm sure, and we'll, we'll do all of our proper predictions in a lot more detail with a lot more information to do on. But um, just very quickly, Dave, uh, if you had to pick a final league position for Spurs next season, where would you guess? Sixth. <laughs> Elio's just like, why are you doing this to us? Sick. Okay. I'm not going to ask you guys. So, so you can volunteer on if you want. I'm not even going to ask Elio because I know your answer will be who cares, who knows. We, we have to see who we sign and who our manager is and just let me go to bed. Um, <laughs> on that point, in the interest of moving things along, before I forget, follow us all on Twitter. Follow the podcast at Plus Dave Podcast. Follow me at Plus Dave Dags. Follow Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. Follow Dave at Fantasy Dave. And follow Socrates at, remind me, Utram Officium. That's that it, right? yeah. U- U-T-R-M. Latin double F. Possible job. That's it, yeah. yeah. You'll find it. I'm, I'm not tweeting much. I got something out of my system against Arsenal supporters under the age of 18 about a week or two That's, ago. Yeah. I may... I may rise up again over the summer. I was about to say, speaking of you know, complacency, you know, not refreshing the, the ideas, I felt like you might have just had a, a brief window and now you're like, no, that's done now. Now you're going to turn your attention to Leeds fans, yeah? Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, feel, follow us on Twitter and I'm um, sure there'll be more of that over the summer and we'll come back to do our predictions when we've got a little bit more to go on, right? Right, before we wrap it up for the season, guys, I'm just going to do what I always do and throw it out to the floor to see if anyone dares anything else into the conversation or, or has any final closing points elio i know that it's approaching your bedtime but is there anything that you wanted to add or just surmise for the season list of people to apologize to for <laughs> besmirching their name on this podcast not the referees they can go f- themselves but <laughs> short long stuff yep jack Grealish. yep declan rice Apologies to all three of you. Unless Declan Rice goes to Arsenal. Unless Declan Rice goes to Arsenal or Jack Grealish mm. plays like Jack Grealish was- again next time we play him. <laughs> a small part of me was really hoping you were going to say a list of people to apologise to. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> That's what I was genuinely expecting you to say. But fair points nonetheless. Socks, any new closing thoughts on the season and on the podcast? Uh, no, I think that's over. Yeah. 
yeah, bring on the next misery and pain. And only fitting that we will give the final words here to Dave, who I think no one wants football to go over more than him. But have you at least had something I have, I think you'll all be not surprised to know that I'm very much looking forward to a cricket summer. Exactly, yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, once again, to everyone who's tuned in every week and everyone listening, thank you so much for coming back and putting up with us and our angry rants at various players that don't deserve it. Thank you, all three of you, for joining me every week and making this such a fun experience. But thank God we don't have to do it for a few more weeks. We will see you all at some point over the summer, at the very latest, right before the new season. Come on, you Spurs. Stay classy. And we'll see you next season. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it!